Well, welcome. Census required. We're glad you're here. <laughs> just to be clear, I'm Jim. This is Gerilyn, just to uh, make sure you understand that. We are privileged and thankful to be here. And you had nothing to do with it, so we thank those who did. We trust that this week will be a difference for all of us. We have, along with your worship team, and what a great worship time to focus and honor God. And that is what we desire, to worship Him, to bring glory to Him. And so we will do our best to try to communicate that. But this is Summit, going to the top, and we want to experience that. Some of you, as already been said, are required to be here, and we hope that you will at least do us a favor. Listen. Because maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you in some way whether you believe in him or not, wherever you are in that, we trust that you will listen. At least give us that to try and understand what maybe God wants to say to you. Many of you are walking with God and growing in that relationship. But this week, we really want to focus on stories. Stories of the Bible and more modern stories. In fact, most of the stories that we tell of contemporary have an Indiana Wesleyan University connection. And so we're thankful for that. In fact, we have had written a spoken word for each of these, special for you. And they were written and produced and performed by, as well as video and edited by Indiana Wesleyan University graduates. And we're thankful for that. We hope you do come at other times the rest of the week. The rumor that I'm starting is there might even be a Jimmy Fallon-esque thank you or two during this week, we hope. We thought about a lipstick battle with Dr. Newman and myself, but I don't know if we should make that happen. I thought that should be Dr. John Bray and Dr. Newman another chapel another time. <laughs> and I was going to say there's no way there's going to be the nene, but I found out that Dr. Wilbur Williams showed you all a little bit of the whip. Dr. Williams, he's so hip, and he's so contemporary. I love it. It's awesome. So we trust that we don't just connect with you as trying to communicate, but through God, that he would challenge each of us during this time. And so we trust that the stories that are told will help you to do one thing. Answer the question, what will yours be? What will your story from this point on be? What will it look like? You have an opportunity from this moment, and don't lose this moment, from this moment on, to write the story God has designed you for and desires in and through you. And so as we talk about stories, continue to ask the question, what will mine be from this point on? What will God want my story to look, to read like? in the coming years. You are being molded and shaped and formed and you're in that incredible time. So we trust that the stories that are told will relate to you to make application into your life of what yours will be. Now after each of the sessions, we are going to have questions that will be put out on the IWU portal and social media. And those questions will just continue to help formulate thinking through what we talked about in each session. and solidify within your heart, just taking some time to think through each of the topics that we're going on. Now tonight we're going to be talking about the power of God. And this, we're really excited about that 
that talk on Jehoshaphat and his army of worshipers. But this morning, we're going to start with God's love. If you couldn't tell from the worship music, they did a great job of just preparing us in thinking about God's love. And we are going to be in the book of John chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. But before we get to the story of the woman at the well, I just kind of want to set up a little geography for you to help understand more of this story and the depth of it and what happened. And let's start with spoken word. We're going to watch the screens to we dive in. We are going to do that. Let's do that first. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. What is love? Everything. And yes, I realize I cannot sing, so therefore I write poetry. But I digress. Love is everything. And even if you feel that you've never truly loved from deep within yourself, we all have an innate desire to be loved by someone else. It is a desire that is deep within our core, it is hardwired into who we are. So what is love? You ready for the cheesy churchy answer that this time is right? Jesus. All right, all right, Chafin, I've heard this before, but how can I know this to be true? Because while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for me and you. We see a ruler and a king who had absolute dominion over everything step off of his throne and enter into humanity, pulling on flesh and wholeheartedly adapting to our human anatomy. And his flesh wasn't just a disguise, but he fully became one of the guys. Then 33 years down the road, he died on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice because we could not free ourselves from our own vices, so he came in order to pay the sin price. And if this love case I'm presenting isn't enough and you still need more, then flip the pages in that book, what we call the Bible, and stop at John 4. Because before our Savior hung on a tree, he met a Samaritan woman and extended his hand full of love and grace. And he invited her into a relationship on her turf, in her space. This was a woman who was considered lower than dirt and outcasted by her own. She went to the well in the middle of the day in order to just be alone. But Jesus offers her a drink so that she will never thirst again. He, he offered her love and gave her a reason to walk away from her sin. And that same hand is still wide open for us as he stands at the door waiting for us to offer our trust. And as we learn from this story of the Samaritan woman, it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done as long as we respond with love to the Son. <laughs> and don't be fooled by the world and its offers. Because while the apple the world offers certainly looks like a delicious and tasty bite, I promise it pales in comparison to genuine interaction with the creator of all matter and light. And he is the true and full embodiment of love. And when he wraps us in his arms as our father, there is nothing else we need. Meaning that love, both given and received in this reciprocal relationship between finite and divine, yes, that love is absolutely everything. So let's start with a little geography lesson. We have, I'm going to do a little air map for you. So we have Judea down here, and above it is Samaria, and above that is Galilee. And then over here on the east side, which I'm doing east for your perspective, is the Jordan River. So if you are in Judea, and you want to get up to Galilee, obviously you go straight up, right? You don't go anywhere, it's straight up, two points. Two points, straight line, go there. That seems the logical route. But that isn't what happened. Because those in Judea did not like the people a whole bunch in Samaria. 
So they would do whatever they had to do to avoid going through that region. They so much hated to go in that area that they literally would cross over the Jordan River, go up the east side of the river past Samaria, cross back over the river into Galilee. And then came Jesus. And he blew away all the customs and the norms of that day, all the taboo stuff. And he said, nope, I'm going straight through Samaria. He ends up going, he's heading to Galilee, but he stops in the middle of, of uh, Samaria at Sychar. And he goes up to Jacob's well. And Jacob, yes, that is the Jacob you've all heard of, the father of the 12 tribes. At one point, Samaria was Israel until the Assyrians came in and, and captured it. So now he's at Jacob's well, and he sent the disciples into town to get some food, and he just wants a drink of water. He's thirsty. He says, I, I just need a drink of water. And while he's at this well, he meets a Samaritan woman. And with that encounter, Jesus does more than wants a drink of water. But he wants to start a conversation. He is willing to engage in conversation with this woman. So as he literally sets himself down at a well, a woman who didn't belong much of anywhere was sitting there or came to him while he's sitting there. And he asked a question. Will you give me a drink? Now he asked a very wonderful question, a physical question, but know this and you already know this he was going much deeper with that he was going to the spiritual he was going to ask her other questions and he was going to begin to share with her living water and what made a difference rather than just the physical and by the way that that's just a great note in this story one of the stories about this story one of the sides about this is how jesus talks to her it's a great lesson for us to learn how to talk to other people. Oftentimes we want to leave it very surfacey. He goes deep. We want to leave it about the weather or how the football game went. But Jesus, with intentionality, went deeper. Although he started that and he engaged in conversation. He did break, as Gerald said, the cultural no-nos. First of all, a rabbi and a man talking to a woman should not have happened. And then a Jew is talking to a Samaritan. Shouldn't have happened. No way. In fact, we know that in Scripture because in John chapter 4, verse 9, we see this discussion. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. They did not understand this idea that Jesus would talk to them, that a Jew would talk to them. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Before we go on to the next one, I want us to catch something here. She begins to say, this isn't right, you shouldn't talk to me. For the reasons we just gave, culturally. It should not have happened. And yet, Jesus engages in conversation because he wants this. And here's what we want you to know. How much God loves you, each and every one of you. We want us to understand. And, and some of us have grown up in the church and some of us have given our life to Christ. But we've lost this relational us aspect of understanding how much God loves us. 
and he cares for us. And we want you to know that God loves you. And I think it's important, and you, many of you are studying Scripture and understand that, but as you dig into Scripture, it is sometimes as important to see what's not there as what is in Scripture, as what is written. And when she says, why are you talking to me? I'm surprised. You shouldn't be talking to me for all the reasons we just gave in verse 9. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't even address the issue. He doesn't defend it. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't go on like I would do. Well, well, here's why I think I can do. I'm the Messiah, by the way, and just wanted you to know that. No, he avoids that, not because of avoidance of afraid of, because it's not important to him. He wanted her to know, I love you, and I love each and every one of you. I care for you. And Jesus doesn't even address it. In fact, in verse 10, he goes right on to say, if you knew who you were talking to, You would ask me for a drink because I'm going to talk about living water. And we'll dive into that idea of living water. But I want you to catch what's not there. Jesus didn't even address her concern, her surprise. It's as if he said, it's not important. You are what's important. And our relationship is what's valuable. I care about you. I care about you. I care about you, and I don't worry about what the rest of the world says. You are somebody that matters, and our relationship. And when you begin to understand that, I want you to receive the love I'm offering you. Now, not only do we have a man, a Jew, and a rabbi on this side, and we have a woman who's a Samaritan, But she's also an outcast with her own society. She's made some choices in her life that they've separated from her. And that's why she's there in the noon of the day, because she is, most of them would come in the evening. So she comes during the noontime, and so she's there alone, because they've just rejected her. You could not have two people on further extremes of the spectrum here having this conversation. And yet, through the love of Jesus, he crosses over that barrier and he says, I value you. Just by talking to her, he is lifting up her status in society. It's kind of like he he can work through the fog and the, the smoke of societal and cultural norms and taboos and he says I see you I see you as a human being as a creation of God all that other stuff doesn't matter you are special and I love you we have a friend in Sacramento her name's Melinda and Melinda is a very vivacious personality. I like to say I would call her a loud personality. She does everything big and loud and and fun and she just, she loves life. Well, recently we found out that she has been going every week to speak to a man who lives under the overpass in downtown. And she'll go and she'll take maybe some socks or an extra blanket or some food But more than that, she stops and she looks him in the eye 
and she has a conversation with him. Do you know what that does to him? How that lifts him up, that he's a human being that needs interaction? Recently, somehow he got a hold of a cell phone and his son's phone number. He had not spoken to his son or seen him in 15 years. But he called his son and found out he was soon to be married. And his son said, Dad, I want you at my wedding. Well, Melinda found this out. So she swooped him out of there, which Melinda would swoop. That's something she would do. <laughs> she swooped him out of there, and they went to the Salvation Army thrift store. And she bought him a pair of pants and a shirt. When they found out what was going on, they said, oh, no, no, no. He's the father of the groom. And they dressed him in a suit and some nice shoes. She got him a hotel room so that he could take a hot shower and clean up and sleep in a nice bed. She put it near the bus station so he wouldn't miss his ride the next morning, and she bought him a bus ticket and put him on that bus to go to his son's wedding. She saw a human being who needed valued. She saw a dad. She saw a man. And she gave him back his dignity. That's what Jesus' love does. He meets our needs. He meets all our needs. He sees us. And he knows every part about us. With the woman, he said, Jim had mentioned uh, 410, and he said, he's telling her, if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for living water that will last for eternity. This well here, you're going to drink from it, and you're going to be thirsty again in about an hour or two. But the water I give will satisfy you forever. And bless her heart, this poor girl just was not getting what Jesus was saying. And she said, oh, good, I want that water. Then I don't have to keep coming out here and lugging my jar out and lifting water out and lugging all this water back home. She just doesn't grab it. But Jesus isn't talking about that need, although he cares about our physical needs. But he's reaching into her very soul. That's where he wants to make a difference in her life. She was an outcast, even in her own area of Samaria. Although the Samaritans were outcasts, she was an outcast. You, you ever feel like that image? Can you tell which one doesn't belong? Jesus says, I don't care what you look like. I don't care if everybody else thinks you're an outcast. I care about, I love you. Jesus made it a point to add, and he always adds value to you and me. He always adds value. He doesn't say, I, say, I don't care about you. He says, I love you. And I want you to know how much I love you, no matter what you think about yourself or what others think about you. I care for you. I love that he just goes on and continues to demonstrate love for her, even though he knows her. John 4, 16 through 19 talks about that. He says, go and call your husband and come back. Go and call your husband and come back. She said, well, uh, um, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. The five men you had before, they were your husband, the guy you're living with now. 
isn't your husband. By the way, I think it's somewhat hilarious. In verse 19, she says, oh, I, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> Good insight. Even I, lack of discernment guy, can figure that one out. I just think it's hilarious. Oh, you're a prophet. No kidding. Maybe I'm a little bit more than that. But here's what's interesting. Did you see what Jesus did there? He said, you're right. I want you to know that I know about you. I know your life. I know all about you. And I don't care. I don't care who you are or what you've done. I want you to know. And, and literally as he's sitting at the well, he looks at her and he says, I love you. I care for you. You're valuable to me. Because he doesn't condemn her for her lifestyle. He just wants her to know, I know about you. And I don't care if you think of yourself or others think of you as an outcast. I want you to know how valuable you are to me. How much you mean to me. Jesus doesn't beat her up because of this. He doesn't tear her down. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't do anything except he wants to transform her life by his love by his grace, by his forgiveness. Know what you've done, where you've been. You may, on the outside, we may look at you and you've got it all together. You may even think you're all that. But inside, you may say, hey, I'm lonely. I'm the only one at the well. Nobody else wants to come around. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know if you fit that picture of the outcast or not, but we want you to know, no matter how bad, how good, how wonderful, how awful, no matter what, God loves you. Jesus says to this woman, I love you. I care for you. We want some of you to really know that today. But for some others of us, we want to remind you And a story that is still being written, sadly, today. The story that I'm referencing was written by Philip Yancey years ago about a young woman that lived in Traverse City, Michigan. And she was a teenager who didn't get along with her parents because her parents didn't know how to parent. They just were too strict and too awful and too terrible. And so she got mad and got upset like many and constantly told them how much she hated them. And on a night of an argument, she decided to act out on a plan that she had been planning and processing in her mind for years, and she ran away. She decided to run away to Detroit, the big city of Detroit where she had been once before. She thought, they won't look for me there. They think maybe California. They think maybe Florida, somewhere else, but not in Detroit. And so she takes off. Now, I've got to tell you right now, um, I'm not sure I'll get through this story, so we're ready to tell this. Gerilyn tells a story that I never cried before we planted the church. And now, for me, I cry at Home Depot grand openings. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, I, I just want you to know, I, I tend to cry. All right? So, if I don't get through this story, I'm just setting you up for that and, and ready to go. She bolts. She leaves. She goes to Detroit. She sees very early on the biggest car she's seen, and some guy gets out of the car and offers her a ride. Yes, he's a pimp. And yes, she takes his ride, and she takes his money for the food, and she 
realizes very quickly that she needs to perform, and so she sells her body, but she's living the life that she had always wanted away from Traverse City in big city Detroit. She had the penthouse. She had the room service. She had the clothes. She had all of those things. And she thought, I'll show those poor people in Traverse City. They don't know what life is all about. Well, that lasted for a while, and then after about a year, she got sick. And as she got sick, she couldn't do what her boss needed her to do. And very quickly, she was out on the street. She was alone. She was desperate. She, would bro- she was broke. She would turn a trick or two, but that simply paid for her drug habit that she's now addicted and needed those drugs. She was laying on the sidewalk trying to sleep on one of those metal grates that would kick up some of the heat in the Detroit winter. It was cold, and with only clothes she had, she had on her, and she would cover herself with a newspaper to try and stay warm. And I say she slept on the street. That's a loose term for a teenager in the city of Detroit. She would doze from time to time. In one of those nights, she had one of those synapses in her memory to remind her of one scene in her mind. And that was Traverse City with all the cherry trees in blossom in the springtime and her golden retriever running through the cherry trees. As she laid there, she decided what she thought she never would do, and she would go home. She would try to go home. She picked up, went and made a phone call, and she got the answer machine twice, and she hung up. The third time, the answer machine picked up, and she decided to leave a message, and she said, Dad... Mom, I'm coming home. If you happen to be at the bus stop and are willing, I would like to at least stay with you. But if not, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until we hit Canada. She hung up the phone and she got ready. She had indicated she would be there the next night. It was about a seven-hour bus ride with all the stops from Traverse City to Detroit. And so she had many hours to think about her plan, and she thought, how stupid. They didn't even pick up. They don't even know. Maybe they're gone. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they're in shock because they were sure I was dead. What happens if nobody's there? They didn't get the message, and they wanted to. Oh, no. And she began to process in her mind how wrong her plan was. But she said, in case they're there, I need to get my speech ready. And she rehearsed it time and again, time and again. Dad, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And as the bus finally made its way into the bus stop in Traverse City, it pulls to a stop, and on that crackly microphone, the bus driver says, 15 minutes, folks. 15 minutes is all we have. 15 minutes to determine her life. Now understood as an outcast. She took her little compact out, and she tried to clean the lipstick off of her teeth, and tried to freshen up as best she can. She looked at her hands and she wondered if anybody would notice the tobacco stains on her fingertips. That is, if anybody would be there. And she stepped off the bus and she entered into a concrete block plastic chair bus terminal. As sterile as a place as you could see. Not once did she imagine a scene. Of all the scenes that she had played out, did she imagine what was going to happen? And as she walked through the door of the bus terminal, there were 40 of her family 
with those stupid party hats and those blowers celebrating. And the back wall said, welcome home. And out of the crowd of 40, as if the sea parted and out steps her dad. And he walks up to her and he grabs his arms around her and he squeezes her and she squeezes him and they both begin to sob. And yet with that, she steps back and she starts her speech. And as soon as she starts the words, her dad takes his fatherly hand and he puts it against her lips. And he says, no, sweetheart, there's no time for that. No apologies needed. You're home and if we don't get going, you're going to be late because you think this is a celebration. The party's waiting for you at home. I love you. And whether you're a woman at the well or you're a girl who had left home and was welcomed back home, we want you to know that maybe today you need to hear and understand really for the first time how much God loves you. Some of us just simply need to be reminded that we think we've turned away and we've left that home. We've walked away. We've gone to the well too many times and nobody's been there. Or we have now been reminded of God's love for us and we have come back. I want you to know, we want you to know how much Jesus loves you no matter what you've done. No matter who you are. No matter if you fit in with the university crowd or not. You may be one of those that's never fit in. And we want you to know that Jesus loves you. And this week, he wants to work in you to help you to fulfill, from this day on, to fulfill the story that God has designed you for. For you to begin to say, I know what my stories look like to this point. What will it look from here on out? Some of you are a week into this and you are scared to death. You're lonely because you're not at home any longer and you can't figure out how in the world to live with other people. Some of you are in your third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh year and you, you can't figure out what's going on and you still haven't fit in. You end up going to the Macon well when nobody else is there because you don't think anybody else cares about you. And here's what we want you to hear. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And he wants to sit down and say, Team, don't make it cliches, don't make it flippant. He, but he wants you to hear. I want you to experience my living water. I want you to experience my love. I want you to experience what I have to offer you so that you can live the life that I've wanted for you. You know, at the conclusion of this woman at the well story, she goes back and tells her friends. That's a great principle. Part of your story ought to include you helping other people encounter Jesus, experience his transforming power, his forgiveness, his love, and help them to write their story the way God has designed and desires for them. Yancey concludes that story about the girl from Travis City with, ask people what they must do to get to return to God, and most reply, be good. Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we must do is cry help. God welcomes home anyone who will have him and, in fact, has made the first move already. He loves you. And how are you going to let him write your story on your heart? Let him be a part of your story.
to make a difference. We have at the doors, they're going to have baskets that have rubber bands. And we want you to take one of the rubber bands and this week wear it on your wrist, put it on your keychain, hang it on your corkboard, whatever, and just to remind you, just a little thing to remind you, Jesus loves me. And then like 1 John 4:16 4, says, rely on his love. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning to get together and be reminded of your amazing, unconditional love. Thank you that you have swaddled us in that, Lord. May we walk in the boldness of your love and the surety of that. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. See you tonight.